Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. AW Dynamite this week started with MJF walking up to Tony Schiavone and calling him a fat old... Can I say this word so early in a YouTube video? I don't think I can. Let's just say it rhymed with click. And also, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Ups and Downs with me, Simon Miller. And if you are watching this, I would like you to do me a favor today. Just go and share it far and wide. Because I have decided that I want to spread my seed (laughs) over the internet. (laughs) It's the worst thing I've ever said. You know what? End the video here. I'm going. That is not true, because, of course, we do need to recap this show. And Maxwell was all like, listen, man, I understand that Jay White beat me last week, because all it ever takes is three seconds, and I can lose this world championship. When his phone rang, and it was Adam Cole. So he must have been watching the show, and amazingly, Friedman just put this onto a big screen, so the ticket AEW is very good. And Adam Cole was like, listen, MJF, I love you, you're my best friend, but you must team with Samoa Joe, because the full gear pay-per-view is coming, and right now, you're defending those tag team belts by yourself. MJF said he wasn't going to do that, and that's when Daniel Garcia with Daddy Magic and Angelo Parker walked in. And Max was like, look, are you the wrestler? Are you other sports entertainer today? And Dan was like, I tell you who I am, the man who is about to beat you. I think somewhere as well, Roderick Strong's Adam Cole radar must have gone off, because he then wheeled himself in with his boys, and he was trying to tell Adam once again, You know this Maxwell guy is the devil, and Cole is so sick of this, he turned him off. Freeman then said, listen, you're a massive loser goober these days, when he stormed off as well. So Roderick Strong was like, well, I do believe tonight is the night we need to remind everyone just who in the hell I am. A wrestler's favorite saying. What I really did like about all of this, though, is that MJF, our world champion, is the centerpiece to the show. And look, you go back through any successful time in any promotion... And that is usually the way. We weren't standing on ceremony either, Mr. Wayne, because our first match was for the AEW world title. And like a massive nerd, I would question putting this here, because one, nobody believed that Daniel Garcia was going to win anyway, and two, it was even less likely, given that it was our opening match. I mean, imagine we hadn't done that. It would have been crazy. I mean, that would have been proper two plus two equals potato stuff because it doesn't make any sense. So that's why you kind of have to look at this from a different perspective. It wasn't about anybody winning a world championship. It was about taking Daniel Garcia, reminding you he is some kind of wrestling savant, and then hopefully using this as a platform so he can now start to climb up the damn ladder. There's no ladder here. I'm just clutching at the air. They wrestled to begin with because that is the idea of the show when MJF kind of mocked his dance. But when Garcia got back into it and he wanted to shake his hips, of course, Daddy Magic was going, I don't think you should do this. I do not like the jiggling. So you know we're going to have to pay that off soon, and then hopefully Danny can fly by himself. They also realized this is essentially the story of Flashdance as well, so we tied that in. And just when Max was all like, ah, let's do some sportsmanship, He poked Dan right in the eye. 
That's my scumbag. All he did was piss off Garcia, though, because he came back with this amazing German suplex, Guten Tag, and he tried to finish MGF off with a brain buster. But by this point, Max had been working over his arm, so when Danny went for a power drive, he was like, I can't do it, I got a gammy limb. Then started to get a bunch of one-two oohs, and once again, I didn't totally buy it. What I did was the fact he started to wrestle with just his other arm. And we've seen Brian Danielson do this recently, and Danny Garcia was doing it great too. I mean, that is just being a good old grappler. He was also able to escape the heat seeker when Max made a terrible mistake because he went for a Panama sunrise. I was like, that's not even your move, you silly person. Don't do that. When Garcia was able to hit the one arm pile driver for a near fall. And I started clapping. And I stopped. I was like, that's a bit mean. I have two working hands. And he also went right from this into the dragon tamer where he was like, I am going to win. That's when he got carried away. Because even though he was pulling back, he thought, man... I'm going to do a bit of dancing. It meant he wasn't pushing enough force onto the hold, or words to that effect. So Maxwell got out of it. He applied the damn arm bar, and he got the tap out victory. Well, I thought that was a really creative finish, and it tied into what the match told us. And afterwards, MJF and Danny Garcia were going to shake hands when Danny, Magic, and Angelo Parker were like, nope, we getting out of here. So as much as I have enjoyed these three as a trio... Probably time to break him up. MJF said the same thing to him as well, so we're planting those seeds. This was a very nice way to start Dynamite, especially because we're focusing on the younger talent, and we should always do that. Up. When Sting and Darby Allen destroyed the Outrunners. I mean, obviously. Now I'm always going to struggle with a match like this because I love Sting and Darby Allen, but I also love Turbo Floyd and Truth Magnum. I mean, that is literally what they call themselves. And if I ever meet them, I'm going to give them a hug. One of the reasons they are so wonderful, though, is that they totally get it. So while they did get a bit of offense in here, eventually they got Stinger splashed. Eventually they got Coffin dropped when Sting locked in the Scorpion Deathlock and they had to strap out. Because of course they did. It's called a death lock, and they didn't want to die. So it was easy peasy, but of course, this is just getting the momentum going for Sting. He's going to retire in a few months. This is my sulking face. I get it, he's like 65 years old, and he should walk away. But am I happy about it? No. Still giving it up. He then just had this great video with Mark Briscoe, who was taking on Jay White later, when he was all like, well, look how far you've come. When I first met you, you were a dude who couldn't even grow a beard. Now you're at the tippity top of pro wrestling. Even still, though, I'm going to whoop your ass later. We then cut right from this for a sit-down interview with Tony Storm and Sheeta. And given that it was in black and white, and given that Tony Schiavone had to go, listen, look, don't adjust your television sets. This is just what the timeless one wanted. And I was like, yep, I'm really going to enjoy this. <laughs> and I did. Now, Sheeta was totally baffled because she was like, Tony, what happened to you? But Storm had an answer. She was like, you. You happened to me. I thought I was going to win it all in, and I thought I was going to become a three-time world champion, but you got the victory, so now I hate you. It's why now she has to take away the spotlight from Sheeta entirely, and then they both did sign the contract. That's the weirdest wrestling contract signing ever, but that's why it rocked. Sheeta then made it clear, as always, when they do fight at full gear, she will be the victor, when Tony Storm was like, well, I have some advice for you, and that is chin up, tits out, and watch for the shoe. And she was actually going to whack her one. But Kitty Sheeta watches the show because she stopped her. Punched her in the face. So I just absolutely loved this because it was silly, goofy wrestling for life. But it did have a serious edge to it. Mostly because both characters believe in what they're saying. And they dove in 110%. So don't tell me you can't marry these two worlds up. I thought this was faboo. Up. Well, we got a proper 180. Because it was Swerve Strickland versus Penta. If you want a too long didn't read... 
just go and watch it. We were also told that Hangman Adam Page had been banned from ringside because of course if he did get in there, he'd probably try to kill Swerve. I was laughing so much. I was like, Swerve Strickland, who broke the law and did a home invasion, sure, you go out and have a match. But Hangman, we know it was you who was the victim, but you weren't allowed to go anywhere near it. I mean, imagine that. So wait, why are you in jail? Because somebody murdered my parents. That doesn't make any sense. It was pure madness, though, because these two guys just went at it. And actually, Swerve was able to get the upper hand in the beginning because he gave Penta a cigar uppercut. I was like, man, somewhere, Claudio gonna be really mad. Penta then went to do those chops, so Swerve just broke his hand. I'm like, man, Strickland is so good. Although Penta is as well, because he's like, fine, you don't want me to hurt your writing device, I'll just stab you in the back. Hit the backstabber. The masked man then went crazy, because he just went dive, dive, dive. Oh, I've missed, I'll do another dive. When they got back in the ring, and they were quite literally just punching each other in the face. I kind of think they forgot what wrestling is. Finishes were then getting counted too, because I think both guys had maxed out their energy bars, when I swear Penta must have started spamming his controller, because he hit every single sling blade you could imagine. He also hit this modified suplex for a one-two-oo, when he saw Swerve go on the outside, and he must have thought to himself, well, you know, given where he is and the trajectory of my bones, I think I can hit the most crazy Canadian destroyer you've ever seen. Which he did. Right onto the ring apron. It's the hardest part of the ring. Penta then followed up with his stomp for an amazing one-two-oo, and I can't lie, that got me. And when he went to do something in the corner, Strickland stopped him and dumped him right on his head. I was just being all oogly-boogly here. I mean, they were going nuts. So then missed a 450, so Penta went after the arm as we did proper wrestling tennis, and when he hit this made in Japan, I cannot stress it enough. This was an amazing one-two-oo. Once again, I was just on the floor because I watched wrestling in very weird ways. He then went for Made in Japan, but Swerve was never going to have that. And he hit that powerbomb slam thingamajig again, which is so damn good. When he followed it up with the Swerve stomp and he got the one, two, three. So, man, look, I know Penta's having a great year, but Swerve has just grabbed 2023 by the testicles and he is riding it to success town. And who doesn't want to go there? Strickland then decided, <laughs> I'm going to unmask you because he is a bad person. When finally, who arrived, especially because officially the match was over, it was Hangman Adam Page. And I actually sat there and I shouted, go cowboy. I was also all like, yes, get him, get him for your son. And he had this still chair. And he smacked Swerve so hard, Prince Nana was like, screw this, I'm out of here. I mean, it was such a hard thwack, I honestly thought he was dead. And Page followed that up because when Strickland was on the floor, he started shouting at him, you're a dead man. So this feud continues to break the law, bring it down, crime counter. You're not allowed to go around saying that. The intensity here was so damn good though. It just allowed you to buy into this feud. And I know I agree with you. We should have done this earlier, but let's face it. Better late than never. It was a laugh because a bunch of security guards ran out and the commentators were like, man, this Adam Page, he better make sure he doesn't hit one of those guys because he will be in trouble. Once again, I was like, poor Hangman. He is doing misdemeanors and everybody's up in arms. And over there, you've got Swerve Strickland, crime breaker extraordinaire. Still though, this was so well done. And don't forget their round one fight was bloody brilliant. So what the hell are they going to do when it comes to round two, which is going down at full gear? This gets a massive up, which sounds a little bit dodgy but you should absolutely check it out. Quick promo with Jay White after this, who said, listen, I'm going to beat Mark Briscoe later, and I shall beat MJF at the pay-per-view. Look, I don't think we're giving enough credit to Jay for everything he's done recently. He is properly coming across like a contender. We then got a video for Kenny Omega and his boys taking on Don Callis' family in a street fight next week, and this match is sponsored by Sega's Like a Dragon. Now listen, I will take more of those kind of sponsorships 
you've got to figure this was a Kenny Omega deal. This was World Time 2 because we then cut to Rennie Paquette, who was with Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, and they described this contest like the final boss fight. So once again, I was like, give me more of that. They weren't able to get much further, though, because much like last week, the Young Bucks then walked in, and they were like, oh, well, look who it is, the two idiots. Matt Jackson thought it was hilarious they were using the team, the Golden Jets, because what about the elite, Kenneth? Have you forgot about us? It certainly sounds like you have. And I love this little wrinkle with the Jacksons. Anytime Omega gets some new friends, they get really upset. Jericho then stirred the pox. He was like, man, you call yourself buddies. Kenny over here got beaten up by powerhouse Will Hobbs. And where were you? And don't forget, we do stand in AEW right now, a company that all four of us helped create. Now, Matt and Nick Jackson took proper offense to that because they were like, oh, well, what a surprise. We knew you'd say something like that, Chris, because as you have done your entire career, you just take the money and you try and take all the credit, even though you didn't do much of anything. I tell you, five years I've been waiting for this storyline. There it is. Jericho then got mad and said, well, you know what? We're a better tag team than you, and they are going to fight the pay-per-view. And if that wasn't enough, we have got a bunch of stipulations. Because finally, we were reminded the Young Bucks do have a title shot, and if Jericho and Omega win, they're going to get it. But if the Young Bucks win, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega are never allowed to team again. Lally. Now, Omega was a little bit uncomfortable with this, but he's wrestled his friends once and he's happy to do it again. And also, right now, Matt and Nick, you are acting like whiny, sprawled brats. And do you know how they responded to this? They were like, that's not the first time somebody's called us that. Dare I say it, I think that may have been a CM Punk reference. Jericho ended it by saying he's going to take them to the woodshed, which doesn't really feel like it's going to help the match, because why would you want to show them some carpentry? But look, this is a very, very well-worked segment, and let's not pretend otherwise. These are four super-duper megastars, and you put them in a tag team match, and they'll probably create gold, ironically, up. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When the internet broke... Here we go. Now this was twofold and we will start with number one because it was Keith Lee versus Samoa Joe for the Ring of Honor TV title. And you've already guessed it. It was big men 
Slapping man meat. We also started with big man shoulder tackles when they just started wailing on each other. I couldn't help it. I sat there and I was like, oh man, there's just so much meat here. And I kind of regretted it. He said totally rewrote the script because he took out Samoa Joe with the ultimate comeback move of 2023, the crossbody. But you know the deal. When he does it, it's like a truck going through a wall. I mean, the noise this made when they hit the ground. Joe didn't like any of this stuff, so he just booted Keith right in the skull, which made me laugh because it was so aggressive. And it was just the best back and forth, especially when Keith Lee hit a damn release German suplex. Rosa Mark and Schlager and Butterfly. Seeing these two just do this kind of things was so damn cool, especially because then Samoa Joe ran at Keith Lee and he got hit with the pop-up powerbomb. I was like, man, Toto, we ain't in Kansas anymore. Keith was also all jazzed after this, so he did go for the ground zero, but Joe didn't want any of that. From nowhere, he kind of smoothly transitioned into the Kakuna clutch, which left Keith Lee with no choice. He wasn't able to breathe. He was dying, although he refused to tap out. So instead, he passed out, and the referee was like, well, I've got to stop it. I would like everyone to walk away alive. So this was an absolute treat, and once again, you should go and watch it, so we shall give it an up. Which brings us to Internet Meltdown Point 2. Because Samoa Joe got on the microphone straight away after this and said, listen, I didn't come to AEW to be the Ring of Honor TV champion. And given that I've just smashed all records, given how long I've held this thing, I am relinquishing it and I am going to go after something else. What the flub? Now, this is because he wants a bigger championship, the AEW world title, and he told MJF he's coming for him. And for some reason, people are so damn mad about this. And I don't get it. Because for starters, many a wrestler have done this in the past, including Stone Cold Steve Austin, who gave up his Intercontinental Championship to The Rock to go after the world title. And while I understand these are two completely different scenarios, it just makes so much sense. Because one, you're telling us the AEW world title is the most important, as it should be. And two, this creates the jeopardy that we do need. Because now when Samoa goes up against Maxwell, I'll be like, well, he did give up that belt. Maybe he's going to win. Sorry about that. It was someone delivering me some bread. And I tried to tell them about Samoa Joe, and they were mad too. It was a thing that does separate AEW from Ring of Honor, which is something else we have been asking for for ages. So I liked all of this. And honestly, if we do make Samoa Joe the world champion, I'm not going to complain. Because he is so damn good at what he does. Dare I say it. It's still a little bit underrated. And sure, the other debate is, well, why didn't Keith Lee win here? And I get that, but once again, there is a retort. If you do want to make Joe into the ultimate challenger, he's got to rack up a bunch of W's. Orange Cassidy and Hook were then backstage, and Orange got super duper serious. Because John Moxley has essentially broken this piece of fruit to the point when we do get to full gear, Cassidy has to get his revenge, especially because John did leave him laying in a pool of his own blood or orange juice. And he needs to do this because he needs to prove to himself that he can do it, and he needs to do it because he needs that international championship. So once again, if you go throughout 2023, Mr. Cassidy has been the man to elevate a championship above all others, and now I totally believe in it, and I cannot wait to see that match. When we did get to squash match number two, and as I've told you before, I always prefer it when we keep it to just one per show, but these two are well separated, and it features the Bollywood boys. They got a very nice reaction. Made me feel warm and fuzzy in my tum-tum. They were also taking on the guns, and honestly, this must have lasted 30 seconds when they got hit with a 310 to Yuma 123. But once again, we are taking Austin and Colton and trying to make you think maybe, just maybe, they're going to win those Ring of Honor tag team titles. Because they got on the microphone and said that MJF is an absolute embarrassment, and he walks around calling himself a generational talent. 
but we all know that he has lied to everybody during his career. And if you are looking for some GTs, shouldn't have called them GTs, you've got to look at the guns. The absolute best bit too is then we cut to Maxwell, who was watching this, and Smojo just teleported in behind him and went, ha ha ha, and he just walked off. <laughs> Remember what I just say? Samojo is the best. I do think this is a well-threaded together storyline though, and I presume that Samojo will team with Maxwell Jacob Friedman, and that Joe will screw him because he's more interested in that title. And then you can give the Ring of Honor tag team belts to the guns. Seems to make sense to me. Up. John Moxley and Wheeler Yuta were here next. They weren't happy. That's when I realized nobody was on this entire show. This was just to get more hype for Box versus Orange Cassidy though. And he basically said the same thing. Like, man, I could let you off the hook and I could forgive you. But what kind of lesson would that be to my boy Wheeler Yuta? I was like, man, I didn't know John Moxie was his dad. As we do have two teams stood next to each other in promo skits, though, now we are going to do John Moxie and Wheeler Utah versus Orange Cassidy and Hook. So we get to the pay-per-view. I presume we'll also do Wheeler Utah versus Hook in the singles. And I thought about it. And do I want that match? Yes. Yes, I do. When we then saw Wardlow, and he wasn't happy either. Told you. It was this really cool training montage, though, as he said, man, I was held down for three years in AEW because of MJF which is why now I'm going to strike and kill him when he least expects it. So I presume that he is going to do that when he is in his sleep. Because imagine. <laughs> You're mine, asshole, I'm gonna kill you! When Red Velvet returned. All right. And she lost. Damn it. But this did tie to the bigger picture as well because she was facing Julia Hart here. And the best news is that Red Velvet was moving fine. She looked good, she looked decent. So I guess she is recovered. Long may this comeback continue. She also busted out some arm drags to begin with when Julia was essentially strangling her. I kind of looked at the referee like, are we gonna let this go? They seem totally fine with it. Velvet did come back though with this massive leg lariat and hit this really cool looking wheelbarrow bulldog kind of a thing. I think she should probably do that more and it should become a signature that everybody kicks out of. Wrestling. The only Red's plan was then to just run at Julia Hart so she got mocked with a massive elbow. When she decided to do this crazy move, it was like a top rope flip slam iconoclasm kind of a thing, and it got a one, two, ooh. And a small part of me, my nerd part was like, man, that probably should have been a three. What was really great though is that after this, Red Velvet was like, oh man, I'm so exhausted. And as the commentators told us, well, look, she has been out of the ring for a year with an injury. She's not going to be back to it yet, which is when Julia Hart took advantage. She hit the moonsault and she got the one, two, three. New Japan does stuff like this all the time. If you have gone away for ages, you have to work your way back up to be 100% healthy. I always think it works. Good move. Of course, Julia continued this war afterwards because she is a bad person. When out came Sky Blue, and she looked at Julia Hart, and Julia Hart looked at her. Now, she was joined by Willow Nightingale and Chris Statlander because we've been doing a lot with these four. And while Willow was quite clearly there to help, it kind of felt like everybody else could fall out with each other. Especially Statlander, she was looking around like, I don't trust any of you, apart from Nightingale. So I do enjoy this, and I'm really happy we are doing it week to week now, and I would still turn Sky Blue heel at some point. I just think that makes it more interesting. But let's start having some TBS title matches soon, when we have so many contenders now. When we got a debut from nowhere. Just like that. Because RJ City was backstage and welcomed them into the picture, and yeah. It was Stardom's Mariah May. The internet then broke down again because they were like, how could we introduce somebody like this? But why don't we just give it two weeks? Seems reasonable, right? Right. Her whole gimmick too is that she's totally obsessed with Tony Storm. And fair play to Mariah, she sold this very well. And I actually think if you do work it in to the way that it could be worked in, 
This may actually make all the Tony Storm stuff even better. And who thought that was a thing? It was already up here. Also, congrats to Mariah May because that is a damn big deal. I mean, you just made it to AEW. When we got to our main event, this Mark Briscoe. Because nobody in their right mind would totally believe that Briscoe would be able to beat Jay White, given that Jay White has a world title shot in two weeks. But fans love Mark Briscoe so damn much, and he's so damn good at what he does do. About halfway through, I too was like, oh my gosh, Briscoe is going to win. Now he didn't, but somebody give him a prize. Briscoe was just bonkers to begin with too, because he knocked Jay White out of the ring before hitting a diving elbow. When, of course, Juice Robinson started to make a bunch of weird noises, the ref was like, what are you doing? Those damn guns tripped Mark Briscoe up. Why also pretended he hurt his leg at one point so the Bullet Club could swarm again? So I'm just going to say this, referee. Give me a call. I have a wonderful pyramid scheme I want to pitch you. The fans were then totally behind Mark Briscoe, which was another reason it was so easy to buy into this. And when he hit a neck breaker for a one-two-oo, and he reversed Jay White's Uranage into a fisherman buster. Once again, I was like, oh, he's going to do it. I'm an idiot. Briscoe also busted out the DVD in the Froggy Bow, and don't forget he has won matches with those moves before. So once again, I was just totally away with the fairies. And when he went for the J Driller, Jay White turned around and took him out, and they were both down. I was like, this is a damn good main event. It also then got more crazy, because Mark was able to hit her exploder when he took White's head off with a lariat, when all of a sudden he was going for another J Driller, but White was able to hit the sleeper suplex. I was like, man, what haven't we done? We were there busting brains, so Briscoe decided to do some chops, but he went for one too many. Because, yeah, he got dropped on his head. Jay White hit the Blade Runner. One, two, three. That damn dastardly Jay White. So I was really sad, but also really happy, because seriously, this was great stuff. And all of a sudden, MJF's music started to play. So the Bullet Club were like, yeah, we're ready for you. As it turns out, though, this was a magic trick, because Friedman turned up behind them. He had the dynamite ring. He punched every one of them in the heads. And as soon as Jay White saw this, he was like, man, flub that. And he ran away. MJF then got on the microphone and said that Jay White's numbers as pretending to be a top guy were over. Especially because he is the greatest real world champion ever. And yes, he said that, so speculate to your heart's content. He also went mega good guy because he said now he's fighting for everybody that supported him over the last few years. Because of course he may be a scumbag, but he's our scumbag. Damn right. Turns out this is all leading to another cliffhanger ending for Dynamite. Because we zoom backstage after this. And the devil and his hooded cronies were beating up the acclaimed. And why does that tie in? Well, this is yet more of MGF's brand new friends. Row. Poor Anthony Bowens too got thrown through a damn window and glass went everywhere. When eventually MGF was like, oh man, I should probably go back there and help. I was like, yes, Max, you probably should have done before somebody got thrown through a window. AEW then peaked for the evening, though, because Samoa Joe walked in and he acted like a Disney villain because he was like, well, Max, it looks like you're running out of buddies when he quite literally went, ha, 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 and he walked off screen and Dynamite ended. So again, for like the fourth time on this night, I was like, this Samoa Joe is the best. It also basically tells you that he is going to have to team up with Samoa Joe. But then we go back to the question of who the devil is. And there is multiple answers. Because is it Samoa Joe? Is it Roderick Strong and his team? Because of course, at the start of Dynamite, what did he say? I'm going to remind you just who the hell I am. Is it Adam Cole, given that he's obsessed with MGF teaming with Joe? Or is it a returning Kyle O'Reilly, which would tie into the Adam Cole stuff? I mean, some people are even saying it's CM Punk. I mean, it's not, but you should speculate to your heart's content. This is just good wrestling, though, and if the reveal does lead up to the teasing and makes us go, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, well, AEW may be able to use that to drive all the momentum. I'm giving it an up. 
I liked it a lot. As I did this episode of AEW Dynamite, and I know there were some contentious things on there, but hopefully I've explained myself to you so you don't tweet me saying, sorry, you're biased, you don't know what I'm talking about. If I am biased too, I'm biased against all wrestling or for all wrestling, because go and watch NXT ups and downs and you will see similar numbers. Because I'm an idiot. Still up. Now again, please do go watch the ups and downs for NXT because I appreciate the support. Like the video, share the video and subscribe. Whatculture.com, social media. Just don't take things too seriously. Life is short and you should be happy. There's Simon Miller's PSA that you didn't ask for. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.